Luke chapter 2 says, In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem. Bethlehem means house of bread. Because he was of the house and lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, his fiance, who was with child. I just feel the Lord on that verse that they went to their own town. They were living in Galilee, but they were going back to their ancestral home. They were going back where they were born and raised. They were going back home for what would be the first holiday of Christmas. Thank you, Jesus. Verse 6, and while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. (laughs) And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were filled with great fear. (laughs) And the angel said to them, fear not. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David, Bethlehem, the house of bread, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger, a feeding trough. And suddenly there was with the angel a great multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. And when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem, the house of bread, and see this thing which has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child, this peculiar sign that he would be laying in a feeding trough, a manger. Verse 18, and all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds had told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. That's normally where we end reading the Christmas story. And I was reading this this past week, actually, and I got to that verse right there, to that ending right there. And the Holy Spirit said, keep, just keep reading. Just keep reading a little bit. A couple more verses. And at the end of eight days, you know, eight is the number in the Bible for new beginnings. At the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus. This is the day they would name the child Jesus. The name given him by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. 
verse 22 and when the time came for the purification according to the law of Moses they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord to present him to the Lord as it is written in the law of the Lord every male who first opens the womb every firstborn son is what it's saying every firstborn male shall be called holy or set apart or consecrated or given over to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons the title of the message that I want to bring to you today is the prodigal redeemer the prodigal redeemer look at your neighbor and tell him as you're having a seat he's a prodigal redeemer you can have a seat amen this past summer uh during our revival who remembers revival this past summer yeah it was pretty awesome good times. I remember a sermon I did up on Rankin Hill, who all was at Rankin Hill for revival this summer. Yes! It was amazing. And I believe it was the first night the Lord uh, gave me a message to do, and I knew we were going to take communion together. And as I studied through what he had me preach that night, I talked about Passover, and I talked about the festival of Passover, and, the, and it was very prophetic for the journey we're on as a church and, and what we were talking about during revival. And I remember as part of that message, the Lord had me in Exodus 13. And I studied Exodus 13. And Exodus 13 talks about the consecration of the firstborn for Israel. And so I'd studied that. I preached it a little bit that particular day. And so this past week, as I was reading Luke 2, the Holy Spirit said, go a little further. Keep reading a few more verses. And man, he just lit me up when I read those verses that after the time, when the time came for the purification rites of Jesus, they took him to the temple to consecrate him or to give him over to the Lord. And I want to explain what that was because it's very profound especially for our purposes here today. It's referring to Exodus chapter 13, which was written, by the way, 1,400 years prior to the birth of Christ. This was the original Passover as Moses is leading the people out of Egypt. How many of you know the entirety of Scripture is pointing to Jesus? How many of you know Jesus is the centerpiece of all history? And all humanity and all spirituality. And he will be the centerpiece because the throne is the center of heaven. He will be the centerpiece for eternity. I remember several years ago, probably 12, 15 years ago now, I was up in Michigan when we lived up there. And I was in a Barnes and Noble shopping for Christmas gifts. Probably Christmas Eve. That's when I like to do my shopping. I don't know about you. <laughs> Probably this very day, 12 years ago. And I was looking for gifts and I saw this book. And it was like one of those coffee table books. And it was by Time Magazine. You can Google it and find it. 
It's called History's 100 Greatest Events. You know, 100 Greatest Turning Points That Changed the World. And that, that interested me, and it caught my eye. I was like, ooh. And it had these, you know, pictures of these events. And some of them were like World War II, modern, like actual photographs. But in the middle, there's probably, you know, 12 pictures on the front of this book arranged. And in the very middle, there's a, looked like a medieval painting of a man, like with the classic, like medieval looking halo around his head. And it drew my eye. And I was like, what is that? And I realized it was one of those medieval pictures of Jesus, you know, like doing this. I don't know why they had him doing this. It's like peace. I don't know. But I was like, it's Jesus. And my heart leapt. And I thought, this is a secular news magazine. These aren't Christian people. What are they saying about my Lord and Savior, you know? So I opened the table of contents and I found the the place where it talked about Jesus. And I'm going to paraphrase what it said, but it started out by saying, Jesus Christ of Nazareth was the single most influential individual who has ever lived. And it went on from there and it talked about the influence that he has had in the world. Nobody doubts whether or not Jesus Christ actually lived, actually died at the hands of the Romans on a Roman cross. And my heart just was so filled that day as I read that. He's the centerpiece. He's the centerpiece. He's the centerpiece. What year is it? 2022. How do we know what year it is? How do we count the years? By according to when Jesus Christ was born. He's the centerpiece. He's the centerpiece. And I'm telling you all of scripture points to him. And in all of heaven will be pointing to him. It's all about him. It's all by him, for him, through him, and to him. And so, in Exodus 13, God's telling Moses, as they're coming out of Egypt, what he wants him to do. And he's telling him some instructions for how they're going to remember this moment. Because this is a big day. And the Lord wants us to remember the big days in our lives. Because they become like memorial altars. On the hard days, on the dark days that we can look back on and go, no, I know I met with God on this day. (laughs) I know I was saved on this day. I really feel like that's what baptism is. You know, we're not saved by any righteous work. We're not saved because we made a decision to get in water like we're some good person that we made that decision. We are saved by grace through faith. And faith itself is a gift of God. And if you ever come to faith in Jesus because the Holy Spirit of the Father drew you and opened up your heart to place your faith in Jesus Christ. And nobody can come to the Father except through Jesus, but nobody can come to the Jesus unless the Father who sent him draws him to Jesus. And I feel like the Lord wants today to be a big day for some of you here today. I feel like the Lord wants some of you to get in this tank today. As the Israelites came out of Egypt, he says they were all baptized into the Red Sea. It was a prophetic picture pointing to Jesus, the deliverance and salvation of Jesus. And there's some people in here today, you've never placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And apart from him, we all stand condemned already. This is the gospel But because God is not willing that any should perish, he sent his son 
born under the law to redeem those under the law so that we might have forgiveness and redemption. Do you know what redemption means? It means to buy back from, to buy back from. You know, you get a coupon, you redeem the coupon, right? It means to buy back. And so God sent Jesus to buy us back from sin and death so we could be with him forever. And so in Exodus 13, starting in verse 2, says, The Lord said to Moses, Consecrate to me every firstborn male. The first offspring of every womb among the Israelites belongs to me, whether human or animal. After the Lord brings you, I'm sorry, jumping down to, uh, he gives them some more instructions about Passover. Jumping down to verse 11. After the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites and gives it to you as he promised on oath to you and your ancestors, you are to give over to the Lord the first offspring of every womb. Listen to this. All the firstborn males of your livestock belong to the Lord. Meaning every, every person who ever owns animals, every firstborn of every animal that's a male, you're, it belongs to God. Meaning you're going to sacrifice that to the Lord. You're going to give it to the priest. They'll kill it. Then it becomes food for them. Right? This is part of how they supported the, the work of the ministry back then. But listen to what he says as he goes on. He says, All the firstborn males of your livestock belong to the Lord. Verse 13, redeem with a lamb every firstborn donkey. So you don't don't kill the firstborn donkeys, but give a firstborn lamb to redeem the, or give a lamb to redeem the firstborn donkeys. But if you don't redeem it, break its neck. And then it says, redeem, what's redeem mean? Buy back. Every firstborn among your sons. In the days to come, verse 14, when your son asks you, what does this mean? Like, why are we doing this? Say to him with a mighty hand, the Lord brought us up out of Egypt and out of the land of slavery. When Pharaoh stubbornly refused to let us go, the Lord killed the firstborn of both people and animals in Egypt. This is why. This is why. Because there was a cost to your deliverance. There was a price for your freedom. This is why, son. When you were born, we took you to the temple and we gave a special offering of money, five silver coins, which to them was a small amount. It was a token offering. You know, it'd be like you giving 20 bucks or 100 bucks to the Lord to, as you dedicate your firstborn son. You're not paying, like, that's how much he's worth because a child is priceless. It was a token offering. The Lord's like, I just want you to give something to remind you that there was a cost to your salvation and there was a price for your freedom. It's an honor offering. I want you to give this honor, this honor offering to honor God as a thanksgiving to go, wow, We are free, praise God, but freedom isn't free. Someone had to pay for this. And this offering is not what it costs. It costs far more than this. But God wants us to give this to symbolically buy back our sons. Why? To know that our sons were part of the cost but they didn't have to die because they were redeemed. In other words, it was a prophetic act 
or rather a, a remembrance act, to remember the cost and to remember the way that God made to protect them from the cost. The way God made a way for them to be saved to where they didn't have to pay the cost that they quote unquote deserved to pay. And what God was saying is, when I brought you out of Egypt, remember how I had to kill all the firstborn to get Pharaoh to let you go? Well, guess what? That was an act of judgment on the nation of Egypt, but you all are no different. We all deserve judgment because all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But because you're my people, and by the way, the invitation to be his people was open. Egyptians, Canaanites were invited. Hey, you can come be Israel. You can come be Hebrew. You can come under the banner of the most high God. You can be saved. Rahab, a prostitute, Canaanite, when they went in, said, I'll take that. <laughs> I'll take salvation. I'll, I'll side with the victor. I'll, I'll, I'll go on God's side. And God said, okay. We'll take you. Invitations opened. A prostitute. Did you know her? she is in the lineage of Jesus? She's like Jesus's great, 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 you know, however many greats, grandmother. Whosoever believes is offered eternal life. God is no respecter of persons. And so, yes, he sovereignly chose a nation. And yes, they are special. But his plan all along was to bring Jesus and show that his invitation has always been open to one and all. And so we all have sinned and fallen short. And the wages of sin is death. And it, and it cost them the death of the firstborn to get Pharaoh to let his people go. And God said, my people are no different, but I am going to make a way for my people to be saved. And here's the way. Take a, a pure spotless lamb. Kill it. Take its blood. Paint its blood over the doorpost. Now what, what type of shape are you making if you paint vertically and then you paint horizontally? That would be a cross. It's prophetic. It's all pointing to Jesus. The blood of a pure spotless lamb. Making a cross symbol. And all who are in that house, doesn't matter who they are, doesn't matter if they were Egyptian, I'm like, hey, I'm going to jump in on this, you know. <laughs> if they're in that house, if they're under the blood, they'll be saved. And it didn't matter if they were Israelite and they chose not to paint the blood. Even though they were God's people, they're not going to be spared. Because there's only one way to be saved, and it's being under the blood of the pure spotless lamb. And God said, that was a special act of grace. And then I did special acts of power to bring you out. I parted the Red Sea. I'm revealing myself in a special way. And I want you to remember this for all of history. From generation to generation. When you have a firstborn son, every family all over Israel... Your firstborn son, I want you to go to the temple. And I want you to pay this, this small price, this small offering. As an act of remembrance. To say, my firstborn really belongs to you. There was a cost to our freedom. But God made a way for us to redeem our sons back. And so they did. And it hit me this past week as I was reading. <laughs> 
in Luke chapter 2 that for 1,400 years, probably millions of families at this point in Israel's history have went to the tabernacle or the temple, depending on the time in history, right? And paid a small price to buy back their firstborn sons symbolically as an act of thanksgiving and remembrance of what God did. And then the day comes when Mary, who had never known a man in the biblical sense, is pregnant, is with child. She has a child in Bethlehem, the house of bread, the town of David. He is Christ the Lord. And they take him to the temple during the days of his consecration. And they pay this price to buy Jesus back. To, it's, listen, it's an act of remembrance. And that's what they had known for about 1,400 years. But God knew from the day he instituted. It's an act of remembrance because I always want you looking back with thanksgiving about what God's done in your life. But God also knew, big picture, it's an act of prophecy. It's a prophetic act pointing to the one who would give his life to buy us back. And can you imagine being at the temple and paying your small price and then, oh, we remember what you did out of Passover. But this time it's for the one that all those centuries of offerings have been pointing to. This is the one. This is the pure, spotless lamb. And so Mary and Joseph pay the price to consecrate Jesus, to set him apart and say, he belongs to God, but we're buying him back. And I think it's interesting that they got to buy him back for about 30 years. And they got to enjoy him for about 30 years. And then after 30 years, Jesus said, okay. Now I'm giving myself back over to the Father. I wonder if for Mary, that moment of consecration, of remembering Passover, remembering centuries of tradition, even though it was so long ago, the fact is they were living in the promised land. God is real. This is a historical thing. Wow, we're so grateful but I wonder if for her it was bitter, a bittersweet moment. Because I think she probably knew that a sword would pierce her own soul too. That this child would not just be redeemed and be safe from being given over to God. Because this child would be the redeemer. He would be the pure spotless lamb who would pay the price for the sins of the world. You know, in Revelation, it says John saw a scroll which no one could open, and he wept and wept. And I believe that, it doesn't tell us what that scroll is. I believe it's the Lamb's book of life. And it says a pure spotless lamb with wounds was able to open the scroll. And they sang a song, he is worthy. He's worthy to open the scroll because with his blood, he purchased for God men from every tribe language, and nation. He purchased for God. He bought them back. Bought them back from what? From sin and death. 
that because we sin, we, we have separated ourselves from God, and the wages of that sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so he sent Jesus to buy us back, to open our eyes, to help us see our shortcomings, to help us see that without God, we are hopeless. We are without God and without hope in the world. But he loves us and he wants his kids back. And to come back to him, there's a price, but he has already paid the price. That's the gospel. So now there's nothing standing between you and him. This reminds me of another story in scripture about people paying prices. We pay a price, God pays a price. It's interesting. It reminded me of the prodigal son story in Luke chapter 15. If you've been around church for a while, you probably know that story. It says in Luke chapter 15, there's a a father who has two sons. I found it interesting, and I studied it this week to make sure the two sons are called the older son and the younger son. The older son and the younger son. And it says the younger son came to his father and asked for his share of the estate or the inheritance. Now this was something you would have only asked for once your father had passed away. So once the patriarch dies, now you've got the family farm, all of his assets and all of that. And usually what would happen is the oldest son or the older son would get a double portion, say two-thirds of what everyone else, if, depending on how many kids there are, right? He would get a double portion and he would get control or managerialship of the family farm. And then the rest of the kids would get divvied up a, a single portion. And of course, if they stay on the family farm, they got to serve the oldest, right? Or the older. And so this younger brother goes, I ain't doing that. I'm not a part of your system, all right? As, you know, those younger rebellious kids, all right? I ain't, I'm not a rule follower, you know? I'm getting out of this. And so he goes to his father. And think about this. What he's saying is, I don't want relationship with you. I don't want to stay here. I want my money. And I want to leave. And his father says, okay. Doesn't put up a fight. Probably sells some stuff. We don't know. Gives him his share. Probably a large sum. If you've only got two sons, it's a large sum. A third of his wealth. A third of his net worth. Gives it to him. Says, okay. And it says the son goes off and spends it on wild living. Prostitutes getting drunk, things like that, wild living. And after a while, after a season of that wild living, of living how he wanted the money runs out, the fun dries up, and he goes, "Uh (laughs) uh-oh. This must be why most people don't live this way. (laughs) And then he becomes destitute. Then he becomes a hired hand for another farmer who's not paying him hardly anything, and he's feeding himself with the pods, the empty vegetables with no beans left in them that he's feeding to pigs. And it says while he's in this moment of suffering, 
let's be honest, because of his own stupidity, right? And can we all, you know, I saw a church sign one time that said, uh, you know, there's a reason for everything. And I believe, how many of y'all believe there's a reason for everything, right? Do you know there's no such uh, thing as the word coincidence in the Hebrew language? There is a reason. And this church, this church sign I saw one time said, there's a reason for everything. And sometimes the reason is you're stupid and make bad decisions. And I can preach that. I can preach that with authority because it comes from experience. All right? I'm not preaching that self-righteously. You are stupid, you know. But that's what the prodigal son experienced. It says he came to his senses. Whoa. That was a bad decision. That was a bad decision. And he said, man, if I was even a servant, a slave in my father's house, I would be way better off than this. You know, the psalmist said, I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God, a servant, a slave in the house of God, than to dwell among, be, be one of the rulers in, one of the sons in, the tents of the wicked. Because our God even treats his servants real, real, real good. And so the son comes to his senses and goes, what am I doing? He, and he reasons to himself, I'll go back to my father. And, and he gets this speech rehearsed. And when I get back, I'm going to tell him, hey, dad, I do not even deserve to be called your son. Because he's, th- why do you think he's saying, he's thinking, this is what dad's going to say to me. You don't even deserve to be called my son. I know, I know, I don't even deserve. Hey, can I just have a job? You can disown me, but can I just work for you? Because I know you're a good person. And I know you'll take care of me. And so he rehearses this and he's like, I'm just going to humble myself and I'm going to go back to my father's house. (laughs) And it hit me that we all know this prodigal story, right? Probably a good number of us have lived this prodigal story. I know I have. I was once a prodigal son that came back to my father as well. But it hit me that the prodigal son went to his father and asked for money, asked for payment for himself. And he took it off, took, went off by himself and spent it on himself. And I thought, wow. You know, Jesus, the son of God, did the exact opposite. I thought, man, it's almost like Jesus is a prodigal son of God, but in the exact opposite spirit as we are prodigals. Jesus looked at his father in heaven and said, "Uh, hey, dad, you know, I really love living here with you in heaven in the glory. (laughs) I would never want to break communion or relationship with you ever. But dad, I'm going to leave my inheritance I'm going to leave the glory of heaven and communion with you, which is what means the most to me. I'm going to leave all that here, and I'm going to go off by myself. Not to spend on myself, but to seek and save that which is lost. 
And so Jesus was a prodigal son of God who left his inheritance with the father and came to the earth to seek and save the prodigal sons and daughters of God. He didn't come, even though he is king, king of kings and lord of lords, he didn't come to be served, scripture says, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom to buy back as a ransom for many, scripture says. And I was thinking about how Jesus was like a prodigal God, a prodigal son of God. But he operated in the exact opposite spirit. And I don't know what it was, church, but I got curious. And I thought, man, prodigal is such a weird word. And in our language, it's come to mean a wayward child. Like, how many of y'all have been in prayer meetings? I've been in, uh, we were in one this past week. We're praying for the prodigals, Lord. And we're just weeping over prodigal sons and daughters. And what we mean by that is wayward sons and daughters. But I got, I had this feeling this week, probably the Holy Spirit. I was like, as Princess brought, I do not think it means what you think it means. You know what I'm saying? And I was like, I don't even know what it means. So I Googled it. What is the definition of the word prodigal? Prodigal. In verb form. Spending money or resources. Freely and recklessly. Wastefully extravagant. Having or giving something on a lavish scale. Prodigal. In a noun form, a person who spends money or resources freely and recklessly. One who is wastefully extravagant. You see, we've all been prodigal sons and daughters of God who in effect look at God and go, I don't really care to be with you. Give me my stuff and I'm going to go wastefully spend it on myself. I hope nobody's getting convicted on their Christmas list this year. That's not my intent. But we've all done that before. God sent his own son, born of a virgin, born under the law, born into poverty, who grew up, and he spent every resource he had freely, extravagantly, and if you consider that he paid the most precious resource in history, the priceless blood of the Son of God, even for people who might look at him and go, no thanks. You might even say that was a reckless thing. And yet he paid that resource and he didn't hold any back. He didn't go, you know, my blood's priceless and I can 
because I'm God, I can calculate this many people will accept me and this many won't. And so I'm only going to pay half my blood because half the people who will live from now on will not. No, no, no. He went, you know what? I'm pouring it all out for anyone and everyone. Whosoever will believe and whoever will receive me. And I'm pouring it all out just to prove to the ones who deny me their whole lives, I love you too. Prodigal. He was a prodigal son of God. He was a prodigal redeemer. You see, the consecration offering, it was an act of remembrance, but it was also a prophetic act. And I just find it amazing that when that prodigal redeemer son of God was about ready to go to that cross, he had one last meal with his disciples. We've come to call it the Lord's Supper or the Last Supper, right? But do you know what they were celebrating? Passover. Jesus died on the very day that they would slaughter the Passover lamb. And so when they ate the Last Supper, they were eating the Passover of Israel, of the Jewish people. This festival they were supposed to celebrate year after year after year, just like they were supposed to pay the offerings year after year to to consecrate or redeem their firstborn sons. Year after year for 1,400 years, they've been celebrating this special festival just like we celebrate Christmas every single year. They celebrated Passover every single year to remember that there was a cost to their salvation. There was a price for their deliverance and their freedom. And now the one who's come to pay it for the world says, let's have a meal together. I've, 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 man, I've longed to eat this meal together. And as they take the bread that represents the body of the lamb that would be given over, he said, you know, from now on, as often as you do this, whenever you do it, because Heads up, I'm setting you free from religion, and you don't necessarily have to do it on Passover every year. You can really do it every day if you want. As often as you do it, no longer remember Moses. No longer remember coming out of Egypt. Now I want you to remember me. Do this in remembrance of me, Jesus said. This is my body because I am the lamb slain before the creation of the world. God had this all mapped out before the creation of the world. Why? Because according to his foreknowledge, he gave us free will, he saw what we would do, and he already made provision. And then he took the cup, which symbolized the blood or stood for the blood of that lamb. And he said, you know, this is the blood of the new covenant. I'm fulfilling the old one. So he's honoring the Jewish heritage. He's honoring his, his family's history. He's honoring what God had done in history. But he's like, I'm fulfilling that. I'm setting it aside. And there is a new covenant. There is a better covenant because there is blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. So this is my blood, he said. And whenever you do this from now on, do it in remembrance, not of a lamb, of a real event in history, when you came out of Egypt, we've honored that. It's connected to that, but that act was always pointing to me. So do it in remembrance of me. 
And so just like the consecration of the firstborn was an act of remembrance, but it was also a prophetic act pointing to Jesus. So he has instituted the Lord's Supper. And I want to take it together today on this Christmas, if you want to get that out. Hmm. And I'm going to ask the band to go ahead and come on up. The Lord's Supper. He said, do it in remembrance of me. The bread is my body. The juice is my blood. Do it in remembrance of me. But listen to me. The Apostle Paul said, whenever you take the Lord's Supper, you should examine yourself. Because if you don't do it sincerely, this is a holy thing. We are honoring Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, without whom we would spend eternity apart from God in hell. How precious is what he's done for us. How priceless. There's no Christmas gift. Some of you are excited about what you might get this year. And some of the, let me tell you, parents, you know, when those kids are young, it's kind of easy because all the toys are cheap. Amen. But man, when they get older, they start getting more expensive. And you start going, how are we going to do this? There is no gift this year that can compare to the gift of Jesus. There's nothing that can compare. We can take all of our gifts and give them to God and burn them. And it, would, it wouldn't hold a candle. We could take all of our lives, all of our stuff, all of our good deeds. It wouldn't hold a candle to the priceless gift of Jesus. This is a holy thing. And, and Apostle Paul said, when you take this, you should examine yourself. Are you doing it sincerely? Do you know him? He said, because if you, if you don't do it sincerely, you're just eating and drinking condemnation on yourself. He was saying that because they would have whole feasts with communion. And it was so free, like some people were getting drunk on the communion wine. And he's like, you're just having fun at church. You're not remembering the one who died for you. That's why we're doing this. This is a holy thing. And so, if listen, it doesn't just apply to communion. You can come to church. You can sit in church. You can sing the songs. But if you're just like, oh, nice dance, girls. Whoa, good guitar solo whatever, see you later. And you're not communing with Jesus. If you're not receiving him as Lord and Savior, then listen, it doesn't even matter that you're here. You've just come out and had a nice social time. This is holy. So you should examine yourself and go, do I know him? And listen, if I know him, am I living how he wants me to live? Because if I'm not, I could be in danger of Hebrews 10 trampling the son of God underfoot and treating as an unholy thing the cross and unholy meaning a common thing treating the cross like it was no big deal it's a big deal it cost him his life salvation from sin and death and judgment and hell I mean that's a big deal you should examine yourself and all that means is just be sincere it, what it does not mean is beat yourself up I know some churches and pastors go, oh, no, we got to be careful. If you're not a part of our church, you can't take communion. Or if, you, if you're not in Christ, you can't take communion. Why? Well, you could eat and drink condemnation on yourself. I, 
I don't make a big deal about if you're not a believer, don't take communion because if somebody slips through the cracks, guess what? If they're not a believer, they stand condemned already. But this is for believers. This is us in gratitude as a, an act of remembrance and gratitude going, thank you for the cross, Jesus. But let me tell you, it is a prophetic act. What, what do I mean by that? Paul said, as often as you take this, you are proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes. You're proclaiming the cross until Jesus comes back. Now, why is that prophetic? Go, here's some homework for you over the holidays. Go search the Bible. Use Google Bible study app or whatever. Search for the verses about the death of Jesus and how it disarmed powers and authorities in the heavenly realms. There's, there's several of them. There's power. There's power. There's power. There's wonder-working power in the blood of Jesus. And as often as you drink this cup and take this bread, you are proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes. You are prophesying. You are saying to all the the devils and the minions of hell, you are defeated. You are defeated in my life. You have no authority over me. I am forgiven. You're proclaiming his death. You're proclaiming your salvation. I'm going to heaven. And so let me tell you, if you came in here heavy today, if as I was saying, you better examine yourself, you were going, oh, I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough. It's real simple to come out from under that. You go, you know what? I'm not good enough. I'm sorry, Jesus. I have not been living how you want me to live. Please forgive me. I want to get right with you today. I want to live for you today. Help me live for you every single day of my life. And then take it. And it's a reminder that there's fresh grace for you today. I had someone message me. A couple stories. Someone came up last Sunday. This young man in his 20s just just crying. And he's like, I haven't been living for God. I'm a Christian, but I got saved when I was a kid, but I haven't been living for God. I've been done a lot of bad things the last few years. And I want to get right with God today. I'm sorry. I want to live for him. I want to give my life back to him. That's what he said. I want to give my life back to him. And he's crying. He goes, what do I need to do? Tell me what I need to do. And I smiled and I was like, I think you just did it. You don't have to do anything except express yourself to him and go, I'm sorry thank you. I won't treat this as an unholy thing. I won't treat your church as an unholy thing. I won't treat your word as an unholy thing from here on out. I won't treat my life as an unholy thing. I won't treat my family as an unholy thing because you died for me. Thank you. I'm sorry. And so if you're under shame and guilt today, if you're like, man, conviction is falling. You're like, oh, I'm sorry. I'm not living how he wants me to live. If you're listening to the devil, he's telling you, you're not good enough. You're not good enough. And so if in the cynicism of your heart, you're going, I'm a bad person. Who cares? I'm going to hell anyway. That's the devil. If you're still breathing, there's still a way out. It's coming under the blood of Jesus. And all it takes is for you to admit, 
I am a sinner. I'm sorry, Lord. Forgive me. Jesus told a story of two men. One was a Pharisee. He went into the temple. He said, thank you, Lord, that I'm not like these sinners who do all this bad stuff. Amen. What a great day at church. He said there was another man who stood outside and he wouldn't even come in. And he beat his breast and he went, forgive me, I'm a sinner. And Jesus said, I tell you, one of those guys walked home justified, made right before God. So listen, it's not hard. Don't mess with God. Don't think you can deceive him and and live one way and come in and take this and you're okay with him and go back out and live like you're not living for him. That's mocking God. Don't do that. You'll, You'll eat and drink condemnation on yourself. But listen, it's real simple. Just express your heart. I'm sorry. Forgive me. I want to live for you. Help me. I believe some of you are going to get saved as you're taking communion today. And this is not magic. This isn't saving you. It's the heart posture. It's the heart posture. You're proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes. What else has his death done for us? His death has not only forgiven us and bought us heaven. (laughs) He has bought us every spiritual blessing in Christ. You're proclaiming over your life physical healing is possible in the name of Jesus so if the doctor's given me a terminal diagnosis or a bad report I'm gonna proclaim the Lord's death over my life the blood of Jesus that opens the way to the most holy place and I can come in boldly and ask for whatever I need whatever I need and he will give it to me Jesus said whatever you ask in my name I will do period answered prayer we're proclaiming in faith answered prayer when we proclaim his death we're proclaiming all overcoming all power of the evil one until he comes we're proclaiming it as we take this together which means if you've been oppressed by depression anxiety suicidal thoughts mental emotional problems listen we have found there's often a spirit behind that it's not just you And you are proclaiming to those powers that be, I'm not yours anymore. You must leave my life. So I believe there's going to be some sovereign deliverance today. As you take this in faith and say, I'm not going to be depressed anymore. Leave me alone in Jesus' name. I'm not going to have anxiety anymore. Get out of my life now in Jesus' name. Identify it for what it is. And it's a spiritual attack most of the time. We proclaim the Lord's death until he comes, until he comes. And so let's do that together. And I just want to lead you in a short time. Just take the bread and with all that in mind, remember the cross and proclaim salvation, forgiveness of sins, fresh grace for today. Proclaim if you need physical healing. Thank you, Jesus. If you need deliverance from oppression, thank you, Jesus. You've paid for all this on the cross. If you need anything else in your life, you know someone who's struggling, you know a prodigal family member, friend, just pray for them, intercede for them. Thank you, Jesus, I can ask and you hear and you'll answer whatever I ask in your name because of the cross, you've made the way. So let's remember his body right now.
and let's remember his blood. The blood of our prodigal redeemer who left heaven, who left his inheritance, who was willing to be crucified. And on that cross, he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why am I feeling separated from my father? Because he who knew no sin chose to become sin. That we sinners might become the righteousness of God. Thank you, Jesus, for your blood. Thank you, Jesus, for your blood. And there's power in the blood of Jesus for salvation, healing, deliverance, and provision in Jesus' name today. Let's take this together. I'm going to ask our ministry team to come up. And I just want to invite you, if you need prayer today for anything, to come and receive prayer. And we're going to go into a little ministry time here. And we're going to play a song. And we're going to worship. And there's some of you that the Lord is calling today to give your lives to Christ today that this would be a day of remembrance for you, a memorial stone. And he's calling you to get baptized in water because how are we saved? How do we receive the gift of salvation? Scripture says in Romans 10, if you believe all this in your heart, you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and you will be saved. Maybe you just did that. Maybe you've done that in your life. That's awesome. But Jesus calls us all to get baptized in water as well. That's also an act of remembrance and a prophetic act. It's an act remembering the cross that we're buried with Christ. We die to ourselves, but it's prophesying when you come up out of that water, I'm living a new life in Christ and I will enter the kingdom of heaven with him in that newness of life. And he calls every single one of us to do it. If you've never been baptized, we give you that invitation today. We have packets of clothes that that we can help you with so you can get changed and take advantage of that. In fact, if you if you want to get baptized, I'm going to ask you to come up to this side and talk to someone. And uh, we'll get you connected with Miss Ruth, one of our pastors here. We can get you the clothes you need. If you want to pray for salvation for someone, come up as we're singing and pray with someone. Listen, if you need physical healing in your body and you're, you're feeling stirred like, I need to get prayer, come up and let us pray over you. If you struggle with anxiety, depression, suicidal thoughts, whatever the case may be, come up and let us pray over you. Because Jesus died for our sins. He rose again. He ascended to heaven. Then he poured out his Holy Spirit. The Spirit is the Spirit of Jesus. And it's a very real Spirit. It's like there's a ghost in my home. Some of you are like, oh, there's a ghost. My grandparents had a ghost in their house. It's very real. Well, the ghost of Jesus, the Holy Ghost, is very real. And many people here are filled with him today. They have his presence. And when we pray and we engage his Holy Spirit to move, he moves. And he works. And he does his ministry. And he's calling you to respond in faith. And so if you feel led to to have us pray over anything in your life, come up and take advantage of this time. And when we're done with this song, this moment of worship, we're going to share a testimony. 
And it's an awesome story, and I want you to hear it. And I believe the Lord's going to use it in your life. So let's enter into a time of worship, ministry. Take advantage of this time. And I know some of you might be thinking, man, I got family stuff to get. Hey, listen, the roads are so bad, you shouldn't be out there anyway. And listen, the longer you're here, more time for them to treat the roads and it to warm up. So you got time. Say, we got time. We got time to spend with Jesus. He wants to spend time with you. And if you're good, you're like, man, I don't have any needs. I've been there. I've been in those moments in my life. I'm good. He's provided everything. I don't have any needs. I think all my family members are saved. We're going to have a good Christmas. Like, I almost feel bad that I don't have anything going on. Then you worship your heart out and you give your thanks to the God of heaven. Because that's a good testimony. So let's stand and let me pray. We're going we're gonna to worship and minister and invite Holy, Holy Spirit. I just invite you to come. Spirit of Jesus, thank you, Jesus, for being here. Holy Spirit, we invite you to come. All the Spirit-filled peoples just invite them. Say, Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come. Fill this place. Do your ministry now, Jesus. We've preached your word. We've sung your praise. We've offered up prayers. We've honored you with communion, Lord, the Lord's Supper. And now come in a very real way and dwell among your people. And Jesus, make your presence known. Make your presence known in this place today. Save souls. Heal bodies. Set hearts and minds free from the oppression of the enemy. Yes, Lord. Come and have your way. Come and have your way. Come and have your way. Jesus, we invite you in. Holy Spirit, come. Yes, Lord. Thank you. 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 Come pray with us. Come pray with us.